Awesome. I want to welcome you to University Drive Alliance Church. My name's Aaron. I'm one of the associate pastors here. And we are, I can't, I don't think the word delighted is strong enough. Friends, I mean it. We prayed for a spirit of freedom over this place here today. We prayed for the presence of Jesus and we sense it and we've experienced it. And we've been touched by it and we long for it and so much more. Today is such a special day, not just because of uh, COVID restrictions being lifted, but it's a special day because we have special events planned and I'd encourage you to come back tonight to our uh, baptism celebration. There's three ladies that are going to be baptized. Steph will explain more about that in a few moments, but uh, we're delighted to be together and so thankful. This is a very special week uh, for me, for my family, and uh, for many people. Uh, on Thursday, it's the 77th anniversary of my grandfather landing on the beaches of Normandy to fight in what was called Operation Overlord, uh, to be a part of what they called and have referred to historians call the second wave that went into battle over in France. And as you know, uh, D-Day was the beginning of the end. It was a, a united uh, battle with, of, of the Allied troops confronting the, uh, the Nazis uh, to bring freedom to this world again. And so 77 years ago, my grandfather landed with approximately 15,000 other people and, uh, and, and did what they were called to do. They fought for freedom. He was a part of a regiment called the 12th Manitoba Dragoons, and uh, we've been learning in recent days about the history uh, of his regiment, and there's kind of a renewed uh, focus or, or uh, passion to learn more about his story. And it was uh, sort of spurred on about six weeks ago. We received a phone call from his hometown of Maryfield, Saskatchewan. My father received it. And we learned that this year they're going to put together a memorial to commemorate the lives of about 70 men and women who went overseas to fight for our freedom. And so my hope is this fall uh, we're going to be able to go as a family to Maryfield to celebrate and to remember uh, what the cost of freedom was back then. It's interesting that this comes up this week for me, uh, with restrictions being lifted and with everything that's going on in our world, uh, I think we can still acknowledge that these are heavy days. And so as we were uh, thinking back, as I was thinking back to what, you know, this, this anniversary, and as I'm thinking about the world that we live in, I think there's a lot of parallels that can come into place. One of the questions that came up surrounding my grandfather a couple of weeks ago as I was talking to my dad about it is why would a man, a young man about 20 years old, leave his dreams and his sweetheart and his family behind? He wanted to be a farmer and he was, he was like right there, 20 years old in southeastern Saskatchewan, ready to take over the reins of the family farm. Why would a young man leave his dreams behind to go and fight a horrible, devastating battle overseas in Europe? And I think we know the answer to that question. If there hadn't been a response to the call that was given, the devastation that could have come and most likely would have come would have been oppressive. Lives would have been lost. The economies of the world would have changed. And so something had to be done. A different style of leadership had to be embraced. A different posture moving forward so that we could know the freedom that God intends for us to know in this world. I think similarly, when you fast forward 77 years, we're living in a time where God is doing something new, and he's calling on the church to embrace a different kind of posture moving forward. And as we do, friends, I believe 
that these words of Micah chapter 6 are, are a prophetic calling upon our lives to step out and to recalibrate our lives, to live differently once again in the name of Jesus. Because as we do, I believe that Jesus wants to restore, uh, uh, or he wants to refresh the church. He wants to, to prioritize relationship once again. He wants to stir us up to go into this world and live the life that he has for us and that he's called us to embrace. And so this morning we're concluding our series in Micah chapter 6, which, you know, really from the beginning, we looked at it as the series between Exodus and our summer series, but I don't think we can just consider it to be the bridge series. I really believe that God has a message for us in these words. And so I would encourage you to embrace it as such, as a calling to the church, a prophetic word given to Israelites uh, thousands of years ago, and now uh, coming to the church in North America here today. Words that speak to us, that direct us, that guide us, and that hopefully stir us to live differently as this world changes and God wants to move in a fresh way again. And so if you have your Bible, I would encourage you to open it to Micah chapter 6. We're going to read from verses 6 to 8 this morning, and I'm going to focus mostly on the end of verse 8, where it calls us to walk humbly with God. And we're going to conclude this series together. But if you have your Bibles, if you're online, I would encourage you to follow along. If you have your device, uh, we would encourage you to open it up. Micah chapter 6, starting in verse 6. I will read this for us here, and then we'll take a few moments to pick it apart. Let's read together, starting in verse 6. The Israelites have been confronted uh, with their sin, with the, with the brokenness of how they've been living their lives. And as it's been laid before them and the Lord has spoken through, Moses, or through Micah rather, and reminded them of how he delivered them and didn't uh, destroy them, they respond with these words, verse 6. Well, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? And Micah reminds them of the grace and mercy of God. He is, in verse 8, he's shown all you people what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. One of the things I've come to appreciate about military and paramilitary organizations, as I've learned here with our police service here in Lethbridge, is is the uh, relational connectedness or the camaraderie as they serve together. I suppose the politically incorrect term in these days would be the brotherhood with which they live their lives. And it's amazing to watch at different events uh, as, as police officers come together or military comes together. When they understand who each other is, the bond that is connected there. It doesn't, and it doesn't matter what service they're a part of. Lethbridge Police Service, Edmonton Police Service, Calgary Police Service, Royal Canadian Mounted Police, Canadian Forces, Armed Forces, whatever the case might be, when there's an understanding and a perspective, these members love to sit down and share stories. They love to spend time together. There's something that's united them. There's a mission that's in front of them. There's a shared experience that they delight in, and they love to sit down and especially tell stories, but spend time together. 
As Micah is sharing with Israel here, he's sharing with them that the Lord has graciously done something for them that they never could have done for themselves. He's extended mercy to them. He's delivered them. He's helped them. And as he has done this work in their lives, as he's helped them identify who they are, the chosen people of God, Micah calls them to something in the first part, uh, or or, sorry, in the last part of what I would call uh, verse 8, section E, the last part, he calls them to live differently moving forward. He says, God's done something for you, so now here's how you can relate to God. And he starts with this word, walk. And I think this is an important posture that we need to understand in these days that we're living in. Because the propensity of our culture is to connect and to relate to, uh, to one another in very quick moments or very quick ways. We have a quick shared experience and then we move on to the next thing. And what Micah calls the church to here, what Micah calls Israel to here, is to slow down and to connect and to allow God to breathe and to move. It's the picture of an old married couple. I'm going to offend some people here because I just called you old. But couples that have been married for 40, 50, 60, 70, are couples married 80 years? That would be pretty awesome. Ralna would be so blessed. <laughs> Couples that have been married a long time, sometimes you see them in environments, and as you see them connecting together, you see this kind of camaraderie, this connectedness that Micah's referring to here. Like they go for a meal, and as they sit down at Tim Hortons or McDonald's or wherever they are, they're not even talking to each other. And I remember in my former years thinking, what's going on? They've lost the connection, they've lost the love. No, this isn't the case, friends. They've understood what it means to relate. They understand what it means to be companions in life. There's a dynamic reality to their relationship that they don't always have to have a big thing to say or big news to share. They can be together and bask in relationship. And in that dynamic, in that relationship, there is an ongoing reality of grace extended, of forgiveness, of love, of joy. They build one another up. They fan into flame the gifts that God's given to each person. And it's this sort of picture that I believe Micah's leading us to here when he calls us to walk humbly with our God. And we see this in Scripture. In John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus says, he, he, he paints this picture. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, some translations use the word abide. If you remain in me, if you abide in me, ask whatever you wish and it will be done. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. It's a picture of the rabbi and the student sitting in a vineyard and just delighting and enjoying in the whole experience together. The vi- Think of the Okanagan. We used to live there in Penticton. The vines, the lakes, the mountains, the trees, the gentle wind blowing. In Lethbridge, it's like the torrential wind blowing. But, but the wind blowing and you're just enjoying one another's company as you connect and as you love and as you delight in spending time with Jesus. Psalm chapter 23 paints this picture as well. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Listen to these words, friends. He refreshes my soul. 
He guides me along the right path for his namesake. Even, through, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And hear these words, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. My dear friends, as God is leading us through difficult days as we move forward, the posture that he's calling us to, the refreshment that we long for, the renewal that he's giving to the church starts with a posture of walking, of dwelling with our Savior. And we have to be cautious that we don't just take snippets of God on a Sunday morning or on a on a, on a weekday morning when you're quickly drinking your coffee and you read a couple of verses to do your penance or to do your due diligence, God calls us to something more. He calls us to something so much deeper. He calls us to relationship and to walk humbly with God. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And it's this posture that we want to embrace as followers and believers, and indeed, friends, as disciples of Jesus. Earlier this week, as I was dwelling with God and, and having him breathe into this passage as I was studying, something came up in my mind that I feel uh, that's necessary to address. And it's a caution for us as we move forward in these next coming days. Years ago in the church, and it's still a lot of the case in the church, a lot of the work that the church did was to pass forward information. So our worship services, our discipleship, uh, our programs, our conferences, our studies, all of it was about gaining information and understanding uh, for sure from Scripture but from other places who God is and what He's about and, and just gathering this information in big ways. And this is a good practice. We should still continue to do this. The Word of God should be written upon the walls of our heart. But we started to shift in recent years, and I don't know how long it's been, 8, 10 years, 20 years, two generations, I don't know, one generation, it doesn't really matter. But there started to be a shift around, away a little bit from gathering of, of information or absorbing information to having an experience with God. And this isn't a bad thing either, but what it can lead to, I want to cautious us on, but caution us on. But... I want us to be aware of this. When we, when we come together to worship, we love to have experiences with God. And we've had this here this morning. It's like the Shekinah glory of the Lord Jesus Christ falls upon us. The veil between heaven and on earth is removed. And all of a sudden, Jesus' presence is wet. It's around us. It's, it's with us in this room. And we know this is the case from Scripture. Right? Where two or more are gathered, there is Jesus. We know this. This is a good thing. Except if we only pursue experience and we forsake relationship, we're missing the point of what God has for us in this passage and throughout all of Scripture. And the danger I see in the Western church is that sometimes our pursuit of experience leads us more towards a transactional experience in faith, which ultimately will lead us to disillusionment in faith, disillusionment in faith, and no faith at all, rather than basking in the glory and relationship of what God has for us over the long course of a journey. 
And too often when we're chasing experience, or even more so, when we try to recreate an experience, we start to look at the pieces of each uh, service or the program or the, or the study or whatever the case might be, and we start to dismiss the pieces we don't want rather than embracing just who Jesus is and the relational component of living life with him. And my concern is, is that in our experience, as we try to recreate it and as we try to pursue it, we will dismiss certain songs, certain speakers, certain voices in our life. And sometimes there's good reason to do that. But sometimes we'll dismiss those things and say, I don't want anything to do with that. And we end up having a transactional type of relationship with God. Saying, well, you didn't do it in the right way. You should have done this. You could have done that. I wanted this to have my experience. Rather than saying, God, what happened here today, I, I, I longed for that experience, and I'm, I'm thankful that I could be with you. And so my caution is, be careful of the posture of our heart when we gather. And if you find that there's some criticism in your heart, because, well, I don't like the way they did that song, or, oh, man, Aaron's preaching again, strap in, this is going to be a long one. Be careful and observe your heart. Pray and ask God to humble yourself. Because it can lead to this sort of faith. And really what Jesus has for us is so much more. It's founded and rooted in relationship. In walking daily with him. In finding delight and joy in him. So what does God require of us, friends? He expects us to walk humbly with him. And we'll talk a little bit about this in a moment, but it's a daily pursuit. It's a friendship. It's a relationship that we can invest into in all parts of our life every single day. At the breakfast table, on the drive to work, on the walk in the evening, sitting out on your deck at night when it's 22 degrees instead of 42 degrees and the wind isn't blowing. When God And God is there. He's there when the wind is blowing too. But it's the the, the, the light, the resting in, the absorbing of relationship with him and walking with him daily. Walking with Jesus is an amazing blessing. But what this passage leads us to next, I think we have to understand, we have to have perspective on. Walking humbly with God means that really we're letting Jesus lead the way. We're not directing the path, so to speak. Jesus is leading us forward, and our life lives in response to the things that he's done for us and in us, and the way that he's prompting us and moving forward. One of the things I love in our, in our uh, paramilitary and military circles is the submission to authority that we see in them. There's a willingness to obey a command, even if it doesn't make sense or it's inconvenient. And I've loved watching our police officers when, a, when a, an order is given by a sergeant or a staff sergeant or an inspector, deputy chief or chief in our military circles. When an order is given, there is something in that culture where they say yes. And this isn't always convenient for them. In many times, they might not agree with the direction. They might struggle with the concept. They might not even like where they're going. But if the commander is given the commandment, there's a willingness to go. This last week, I was so delighted. I received a book in the mail. I ordered it, and, and it came. Called The Canadian Summer, Memoirs of James Allen Roberts. 
James Allen Roberts was the commander over the, the 12th Manitoba Dragoons. He was the brigadier general that led my grandpa's regiment first from Normandy uh, up into Cain and then throughout the northwestern parts of Europe. And their calling and their task was, was pretty uh, simple. At first, the 12th Manitoba Dragoons were a reconnaissance unit, the light horse unit, the light armored tank unit that would go and they would uh, sort of spy on the Germans and find out where the Germans were and send word back to the, to the front line so that the uh, Canadian armed forces could respond. And then they became a liberation unit. And there's stories. I have a letter on my desk I could show it to you that my grandfather penned uh, a number of years ago. He passed away in 2012. That he penned talking about the liberating work of going throughout Europe and freeing these communities from oppression and Nazi rule. And it's an amazing account, but I have to think that as the 12th Manitoba Dragoons and other Canadian forces went into these towns, it had to be terribly uncomfortable. But as commanders like James Allen Roberts uh, would give direction, I think the perspective that our soldiers had was that they understood the bigger picture. They could see things from the 30,000 foot level. They understood the dynamic and the realities of, the, of what was in front of them. And so when they sent troops in, even when there was loss, there was a perspective of the greater work that was being accomplished because they were a part of, of something massive and something important. Similarly in scripture, when God leads the way, when we give God that space in our life, when we walk with him and he gives us direction, what it means to walk humbly with God is that we allow him to have leadership and we acknowledge the fact that God sees the bigger picture. He knows the better way. And so when God breathes into a situation and when he speaks, even if it's inconvenient or it's hard, even if it doesn't always make sense, there's a willingness on our part, there's a willingness on, on our behalf to step forward into that, even if at the time it's not clear or it doesn't make total sense. I think back to the story of Moses. Moses is an amazing man, maybe the second most recognized person in the Christian faith outside of Jesus uh, here on earth. And Moses, you know his story. In the book of Exodus, we, we read that he was born, uh, or not born into privilege, but he came into privilege shortly after his birth. Pharaoh's daughter found him in the River Nile, and as she embraced him and adopted him, he grew up in uh, royalty in Egypt. And he lived a privileged life. And then one day God reveals to him that, his, that God's people, the Israelites, are living in slavery and oppression. And something had to be done. And Moses could have said, you know what, God, I appreciate what you're showing me here, but I'm going to do it my way. I live in the palace. My life is easy. I get to eat honey for dessert. I get biscuits, whatever the case might be. My life is good. I'm not changing it up. And yet Moses, understanding who his leader was, understanding who God was, when God whispered into his heart, you need to free the people, and, and you need to go to Pharaoh and say what? Let my people go. He stepped up courageously to the task. And it didn't all come together right away, did it? We read throughout the book of Exodus, it took 10 plagues for God to change Pharaoh's heart. It took 10 disasters for God to stir in Pharaoh to let the people go. And then after he did let them go, he chases them into the wilderness. And, and Moses had to call on the people again to continue forward. 
And he says in Exodus 14, 13, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring to you today. There was a perspective and there was a hope. There was a courage in the heart of Moses to step forward, even though it would have been so easy to, step, to stay back. And I think similarly, church, I'm, I'm seeing it and I'm hearing it. That God is stirring us as a family of believers to be courageous and to step forward in fresh ways again. He's calling us back into relationship. He's doing a refreshing work in the church. He's stirring us up. And in a lot of ways, it's scary. Because the Egypt that we're coming from before COVID was a pretty comfortable, easy life. We could come to church. We could eat food. We could be together. There wasn't persecution or oppression. It was a pretty easy life. But now we're living in days where more and more we're becoming aware of the fresh movement of God. And what's God calling us to? He's calling us to courage. He's calling us to step out. He's calling us to give him leadership and lordship of our lives once again. And he's leading the way. Friends, when God invites us to something new, it oftentimes is scary, but if we follow him, if it's his voice, it will lead to an utter blessing. And I want us to consider and remember the story of Moses and the Israelites. Yes, they wandered through the wilderness, and they stayed there a long time because they complained, but they led through the wilderness. And what did it lead them to? We see in the beginning of the book of Joshua, it led them to the promised land. They crossed over the Jordan River. The seas parted. The, the, the Jordan River parted. The Red Sea parted, and then the Jordan River parted. And they walked over on dry ground. And not only did God deliver them from the oppression that they had, but he gave to them a fresh identity as God's chosen people, as, God's, as, 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 the, as the chosen nation. He brought them together and he restored them and he redeemed them and he, he, he gave them an identity in a fresh way. Similarly, God wants to do this kind of work in us. It looks like disaster in the making, but this is oftentimes where deliverance starts. And church, I want you to hear that God is doing a new work in us, but it's going to require courage. It's going to require that we stand up. It's going to require that we step out. It's going to mean that we respond to the voices and the whispers of God. But as we do, please understand that the blessing of where God's taking us far surpasses the comfort of where we're coming from. Well, friends, walking humbly with God means a couple of different things. The first is a willingness to follow Jesus and to give him lordship of our lives, no matter what the cost uh, and, and oftentimes that cost is our comfort or our wishes. But second time, or secondly, walking humbly with Jesus means that we give him leadership over our lives and we willingly submit to how he speaks into our soul. I've come to appreciate that oftentimes when God moves, when there's, when there's a fresh movement of God or, or when, can we call it revival? I don't think we're quite there yet. But when God stirs the church uh, there's repentance that accompanies that as well. So not only does God want to lead us in our direction and our calling in life, but he also wants to, he wants to work in our soul. And he wants to expose and identify some of the broken places and the sinful places. And he wants to redeem those places and do something about it so that the days in front of us are better days than the, than the broken sinful days behind us. And we see this in the story of Micah. It's like I said uh, in the first week of the series. It's like the Israelites are standing in a courtroom and the Lord um, shows to them the accusation against them. 
The Lord exposes their sin, and their response isn't a terrible response. It says, with what shall we come before the Lord? But, but what, they, what they fail to realize is that what they needed was the redemption of God. They needed forgiveness. They needed the Lord's grace and mercy. They weren't going to earn God's grace and mercy by doing things. They just needed the free gift of grace that was given to them, and they needed to receive it. And similarly in our lives, I believe that in these days and the coming days to come, that God is going to do a work in our soul that we have to give him, uh, we have to allow him to be leader of and Lord of as well. He is our Savior, but he's also our Lord. And in these days, as God reveals sinful places in our heart and our soul, my encouragement, friends, is to acknowledge Jesus' leadership and his lordship in that, and then to do something about it. To pray and ask for, for forgiveness. To to go and make things right with other people, to repay our debts and our dues to society that we've been ignoring or we have, we have been sinning in for a long time and allow God to refresh and breathe into our hearts and our souls in a fresh way. Walking humbly with our Lord means that we do something about the things that he shows to us. And so often, I think, in the comfort of what maybe we could call Exodus, pre-COVID, uh, the time in Egypt, so often we were dismissing our sins. We were burying things under the carpet. And I believe God is doing a work in us to bring that to the surface again. And here's what I've learned about repentance this week. I think I found this on Twitter. And I wish I would have printed it off uh, because I don't remember the exact spot. But the quote said this, that repentance is always ugly and hard to start. It's always painful. But when we are a repentant people, when we deal with our sin and we ask for forgiveness of God and of others, when we confess and we, we bring to light the dark places of our soul, when we allow God to do that work and we respond to it, the blessings of life moving forward far outweigh the comfort of our sinfulness of the past. So friends, walking humbly with God means, means that we do something that we, uh, we give Jesus leadership over the condition of our soul. And the things of the heart or soul, the things that the Holy Spirit allows or shows to us that have to be dealt with, we embrace and we move forward in. It's a posture of humbleness. And we respond as the Holy Spirit leads us. So two pieces. We give Jesus leadership in our callings and our direction, but we also listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit and we submit to God when he reveals broken and sinful places in our heart. Remember, friends, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, eternal death. But sinfulness has a way of destroying life in us and around us and relationship and joy and filling and all of these things. Sin is a way of destroying that and killing it. But what? But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so I want to encourage us that similar to the Israelites, similar to previous generations, a life that looks frazzled, a life that looks destroyed, a life that feels defeated, even here today, isn't finished. It might be bruised, but it's not broken. It might be held down, but it's not destroyed. God wants to be your Savior and your Lord. And when we deal with uh, the sinful places in our soul, God starts to do a refreshing work in us. Friends, we're living in fascinating days. And in so many ways, we could look at what's taking place in our world and we could feel defeated. 
COVID has worn us down. The news out of Lytton this week is mind-blowing. An entire village destroyed. At least two lives, maybe more, taken. You could look at the, um, of the stories coming out of residential schools. And rightfully so, be heartbroken at the sins of previous generations, at the sins of our nation. There's a lot of reasons in our world today to feel defeated. And yet God says, I'm not finished. God says, I've just begun. God says, I'm doing a new thing and I'm inviting you to come and walk humbly with me. And so I believe that this passage is a clarion call for the church to prioritize some pieces of the Christian life again, just as it was for the Israelite nation. And as we consider this clarion call, the question that begs itself for us here today is how do we move forward in this? How do we start to step forward in a posture of walking humbly with God? And how do we embrace the journey ahead? So let me go through this very quickly. Six postures that we can hold and be encouraged in. Number one, we need to remember who's in charge and we need to praise him. We need to prioritize God in our life again. And day in and day out, give him the mantle. Allow him to be the leader of our lives. And remember who the Lord is. A great place to start. You could go home this afternoon and read Psalm chapter 90. It would be an amazing place to start. And a place to be encouraged in. Number two, we need to pray for a humble heart. After so long of of being bitter or or living in sinfulness or whatever the case might be, we need the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to the spaces and places in which we're holding pride and preventing us from walking humbly with God and expose those places so we can do something about it. And so pray that God would reveal or would give you a humble heart and and, and, and start to help you to repair those places. Number three, we need to pay more attention to our own faults than to the flaws of others. This is all about confession. We could go around this morning and be like, Oh, you dirty dog, I saw what you did last night. That's not what God's calling us to here. God's calling us to stand in front of the mirror. God's calling us to pray, search my heart, O God, and reveal all that is unjust within me. So we look inward. And we start to pay attention to the the broken places and we start to listen to the voice of God. What's he calling us to? Who is he calling us to be? And we start to focus on obedience in those places in our lives rather than worrying about somebody else. Number four is we must remember, uh, we, we cannot rather hide behind our own dignity. We must remember that it's pride's favorite hiding place. Remember, friends, that our real value is in God, not in the eyes of this world. And so doing the right thing that God is leading us in will always lead to a blessing. It's not always easy, but it is always blessed. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 says, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Remember this. A humble heart is a heart that God can work with. A proud heart will keep God away. Number five is to assume a posture of worship. Man, it's good to be together. And this morning, I don't know how you're feeling being here, but I was stirred to emotion. I feel like there's fresh courage, there's fresh passion, there's fresh vision to go into this world. And darn it, we're going to take this city for Jesus. Because I think it's what God's calling us to. 
And as God is calling us, as he's stirring us, these gatherings, whether we're online or in person, are critical and vital to walking humbly with God because we lay aside our own agenda and we embrace the kingdom vision that God is planting into our hearts. He's calling us to more. He's refreshing a relationship. He's renewing us. He is inviting us to walk humbly with him. And so often as we worship him, we're spurred on to choose the better way. This morning, tonight, whenever we gather, small groups, discipleship groups, whatever the case might be, as we worship God, this morning before church, I was listening to the song, Do It Again by Elevation Worship. It spurs us and it touches us. And so we can't forsake gathering friends. We need this and more. And so allow God to stir us. And number six, we need to serve others. We need to serve others. This is the fastest way to walk humbly with God. Or sorry, the fastest way to walk humbly with God is to assume a posture of humility through service. Friends, I would suggest that if we're connected and involved in things in our lives that elevate us over Jesus, that probably we need to walk away from those things. If our job, our occupation is more about putting money into our bank account than it is about building God's kingdom, think about it. I'm not telling you to all go out and quit your jobs. I'm just telling you to think about it. How are we being Christ's ambassadors? How are we shining a light for Jesus? How are we wearing the towel on our sleeve and serving this community? It starts with a posture of service. And I think this is exactly, I don't think, I know, this is exactly the pathway that Jesus chose. Matthew 10, 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to, did not come to be served, but to serve. Jesus is calling us to more. And you know, it's not lost on me. Then in these days, as we've been reflecting on Micah chapter 6, verse 8, there's these two postures that start. You know, act justly and love mercy. These are responses and ways we go out into the community. And this call to walk humbly with our God is all about this. It's about our vertical relationship with God. And for whatever reason, I'm not totally sure why. Maybe it's the reinforcement at the end. But I think this is one of the most important pieces. That if we get this right, this is like the capstone to the calling of God here. If we get this piece right, these other two pieces are going to fall into place. This is the principal place to start. And if you're feeling distant, if you're feeling dry, if you're feeling like God's far away or there's, there's a lack of hope, maybe we need to consider with you and for you how it is that you're walking with God in these days. Is he your leader and your Lord? Are you basking in relationship with him daily? Are you dwelling with him? Are you uh, abiding with him? Are you remaining in him? Or are you quickly looking for the transactional experience to move you from one dot to the next? God is calling us to something new. And I believe this calling, this clarion calling, this prophetic word that I believe is timely in these days that we're living is given to us. And when we get this piece right, we then will go out into the world and perform acts of justice in Jesus' name. We will extend mercy and love and grace, generosity, blessing. We will give gifts that will build God's kingdom and make his name famous. So friends, I don't think these are words that we can just brush over or words that we can quickly process and move on. I honestly believe that these are verses that God has for us today and there's a work in front of us to dwell in it and consider it and reflect in it for what God's speaking to us.
It's interesting, it's not interesting, it's sovereign, but today, as we consider these words and we wrap up these series, we're coming to the communion table. And if you haven't done so yet, I would encourage you to go out into the foyer and pick up your communion elements. To prepare our hearts for communion, I want to read to us back from Micah chapter 6 some words that I hope will flavor and will speak into our, our, our time of remembrance and celebration. And so Micah chapter 6, verse 3, it says, My people, what have I done for you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. And Micah says, remember and know the righteous acts of the Lord. Friends, as we come to the communion table, we celebrate and we remember the amazing work that Jesus has done in us and for us. And as we're people who are being called, hopefully in a fresh way, to act justly and love mercy and walk humbly with God, it's so appropriate that we start with a posture of remembering and communion. So the way it's going to work today is I'm just simply going to pray for our elements. And I'm going to just trust that God is going to breathe into you and speak into your heart the work that needs to be done. It's important that we partake these elements with a right heart in a right way. And so if you need a moment to ask for forgiveness as I pray, I would encourage you to do that as the Holy Spirit leads you. But I'm going to pray and then we'll partake together. Then we'll pray and we'll drink together. And I would encourage you to reflect and remember and embrace the call of God from Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the freedom that we're experiencing here this morning. We thank you for the sweet work that you've done on our behalf. Jesus, you died on the cross so that the curse of sin could be broken. And indeed, Lord Jesus, we felt your freedom here today. And oh Jesus, we thank you. Thank you that you paid the ultimate price so that we could be set free from our sinfulness. And God, we still struggle with it, but God, we're not identified or we're not defined by it. Instead, our identity is that we're children of the King. We're heirs of the throne. We're princes and princesses in the court. And God, you've embraced us. And so today, we come to dwell with you. Jesus, thank you for the bread. We thank you for its symbol. We thank you for its power. We thank, we're thankful for the reminder that we're redeemed, that you're restoring us, and that your good work is alive and present in our hearts and souls. Jesus, we thank you for this time that we can gather together. and We do it for your glory and our joy, we pray in Jesus' name. My dear friends, the body of Christ broken for us. Let's partake together. And let's pray again. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that as children who are sinful, we're not considered to be filthy rags, but instead, before the Almighty God of heaven, we are sinners who are saved by grace. We've been given the identity as the radiant white bride, as, as people you delight in, as people you have relationship with. You're not some God who's out there and distant and far away, but instead, God, because of Jesus, we are close to you and we're saved by you. Thank you for the cup. Thank you for the blood that was poured out to declare us as righteous and free. We embrace it, we receive it, and we thank you for it as we remember. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. My dear friends, 
the blood of Christ poured out for us. Let's partake together. As we conclude our time together, you know, when, when we sang the song earlier in the service, I could hear us. We're a family. We're a family with a Savior. And we're a family with a Savior who's being redeemed. And He is our living hope. And so I want to invite you as we conclude our service. Well, we're not concluding yet. We're going to sing the song and then Steph's going to come. As we conclude our sermon time, I want to invite you to stand. And to sing this with all of your heart. Make this a declaration today. He's our King. He's our Lord. He's our Savior. And He's our living hope. Let's sing together.